specifics, y'all. A political conversation for all of us. So once again, you said the funniest thing right before you started. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Jody. Hi, Emily. (laughs) We're back. You always get so goofy when we're actually recording. Like, I always want to record everything you're saying when we're not recording. And then when we start recording, you're like, hi, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be goofy right now. (laughs) (laughs) So right before we hit recording, we were talking about how there's an election tomorrow. Yes. And I just did my research. And I think I know who I'm going to vote for. Maybe it's between two people. Um, And one of them is your, your favorite dude. Noonie Man? <laughs> yes. Oh, shoot, you going to vote for Noonie Man? Noonie Man runs for every office. I don't think he's won not one time. <laughs> I might. I don't know. I might. Um, because, like, his platform is actually pretty robust. Um, let me – well, I mean, like, so we were just talking about how we haven't done as much research. So basically my research that I did was is I read the Inner Gravity and the DSA voting guides. And I know that they're really well-researched and they're pretty thorough. Um, and we only have like one thing to vote on this time around. So that's why I kind of left it to the last minute to, to do the research and, and look it up. But basically, n- nobody's terribly surpri- uh, surprising or inspiring. But there is a couple of people some, with some pretty robust platforms about, you know, climate change and about um, prison reform and just some other things that matter to me. So the two people I'm kind of deciding between are Gary Chambers Jr. and our friend Noonie Man. Well, he's not our friend. We just we just like him. Uh, we 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 had a blast researching the last election and talking about Noonie Man. Um, so <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I haven't I haven't done any research at all actually. And like you were saying before we got on the air, um, we were talking about some things. I wasn't even sure I was registered anymore because I had to change my address. So uh, hopefully I'm I'm going to be allowed to vote, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do my research and everything obviously before I before I go vote. I see there's a Mindy McConnell. I'm not voting for anybody named McConnell. <laughs> but, She's a libertarian too. I mean, it was so funny. I marked her off so quick, but it was more the libertarian than the. Because what I always do is I always. I mean, I know this isn't necessary. I'm not advocating that people do what I do, but I go through and I mark off pretty much everybody that's a, a Republican or a libertarian off, especially if I have options. I will research and consider like libertarian Republican um, options if I don't have choices. But if I've got legitimate democratic choices or legitimate like independent choices, I'm definitely going to put a lot more energy into researching them, you know. Um, but speaking about you being registered, um, yeah, I mean, I know you would never do this, but basically I think people who were like, oh, I'm not even sure if I'm registered, like don't give up, you know, like there's always options. Um, even even on election day, just go and cast a provisional ballot if nothing else. It's worth the effort. What I'm more concerned about is that since we're in this era of Republican voter suppression, yeah. I'm more concerned that when I when I try to you know switch over that I won't ha- I won't be registered anywhere, and they're gonna try to keep my vote suppressed since I'm registered as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's something. I mean that's 
that's honestly something to be concerned about, you know, like, and, and that actually is on theme. That's on theme with what we were going to talk about today. Um, we wanted to segue. segue. You're so good at that. Um, <laughs> so we wanted, we wanted to get together and talk again. And one of the things that I've been enrolled in this, um, I enrolled in this library series that they're doing uh, called who gets the vote. And it's cool because it's this, um, this program that libraries can offer to the, to the, to the citizens. And there's a grant attached to it that provides free books because it's basically a a study or a book group based on these, um, in our case, four books. And they're all about voting rights and voting history. And it's really, really interesting. Um, And when you're talking about voting suppression, voter suppression, like voter suppression just has so many faces. Um, You know, like what you were talking about, like somebody being like, oh, a black Democrat in New Orleans, let's just lose his registration. You know, like that's that's voting suppression. For sure. Or even just like a Democrat, like you were saying, like a, re- a, a registered Democrat, you know, that's one way. But there's like a ton of legal ways to do it. And we've been wanting to for a long time to talk about like states rights and responsibilities versus federal rights and responsibilities, especially like as they were sort of established at the founding. And I kind of feel like this might be the time to talk about those things. Um, the fact that the vote isn't sort of it's not nationally guaranteed there's not like there's not national um restrictions or requirements except for age um if i remember correctly is there anything else that um that are we're we're federally protected to vote but the states have the oversight on that right like their secretary of states and as we saw with georgia the Secretary of States have a lot of power just to kick out registrations for votes, um, to make laws so that something is legal that essentially like gerrymanders or redistricts a place or just, you know, discounts hundreds of thousands of votes. And that's all legal, right? Yeah. So yeah, every state gets to determine how they're going to run their elections. Um, but ever, so the 10th amendment of the constitution basically says everything that's not explicitly given as a power to the federal government is reserved for the state or the people in the constitution originally a number of things uh, voting uh, health care education you know all of that uh, police powers all reserved to the states um so there's always been a friction between federal power and and state power and what what the federal government can do and is what the federal government doing encroaching upon states rights and um that whole conflict. You know, it's interesting um <clears throat> in this book The Embattled Vote for America, which is the first book in this the series that I'm attending, the second one is tomorrow. The first chapter is called The Founding Fathers Mistake. And um, and it's really interesting because he talks so much in this first chapter about the concerns that the founding fathers had about direct democracy. And this wasn't what I was planning for quoting, but just like over and over and over again, there's like some great quotes from this first chapter that reference their 
there's sort of fear of like just sort of the general populace getting to to vote or speak. And there's this great quote that I'm looking for about um, representative government and uh, as because we are a republic, a democratic republic. And we I think I I'll just speak for myself. I forget often that that republic part is in there and how we don't have direct democracy here it is it's a james madison um it's a quote about james madison it says a republican said james madison is a government which derives all its powers directly or indirectly from the great body of the people and is administered by persons holding their offices for a limited period or during or during good behavior that's the important part the founders may have loved the common people but not well enough to entrust them with control over government Um, And there's so many quotes about that, talking about um, disorder and and tyranny, as in the ancient republics must ensue from all power being seated in and exercised personally by all the people. And that's like a fear, that fear of disorder and tyranny has has outlasted. Well, it's it's survived along with our Constitution, which is one of the oldest, the oldest Constitution in the world. Right still in operation, but it's survived along with it because it's baked into it, right? This fear of individuals being able to speak directly, being able to hold, you know, individual power over the government as a collective. Um, there's a fear of union. In a lot of ways, they weren't wrong. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, when you look at like when you look at January sixth, you're right; they're not wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, because it it would be one thing if we knew that um, people were going to be objective as much as one can be, as if they were going to be as well informed as one could be, but you know, most people are not going to do that. So then you have a bunch of uninformed basically ignorant voters who are deciding the future of the country you know that's a that's a huge fear if <laughs> you know if if you're um you know if you i guess care about the country yeah you know? I, I agree and it's such a it's such a boogeyman that is created and then referenced by the people in power because honestly the only reason why we have an ignorant populace is because we don't have you know really great education system that's free and available to everyone you know we think we do we 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 pride ourselves on it because it's like we we did all this reform and we did all this we did all this education sort of advocacy in our, in the history of our country and, and it is legally mandated like that we're supposed to have you know free education you know, for everyone, but that that's not the case. It's definitely not the case. And especially in a place like New Orleans, where we're on the charter, charter school system, we don't have a public education system, you know, in New Orleans. And, um, and, and then I was just having this conversation during last week's session on Saturday, um, with the, the who can vote series or who gets the vote. Um, we were having a conversation about how in the same country, depending on where you grew up, like growing up in the South, and I've had conversations on this podcast with a friend of mine who I went to school with and, and with other people that we discussed this with, um, you know, we basically didn't really learn that the South lost the Civil War, um, you know, like, really? well, yeah, it was really, it was really, really weird. Um, we were, 
I, I don't know if this was in the, actually in the episode that I of that we released with Courtney, but as part of the conversation that she and I had, um, she confirmed for me like this this weird feeling that I'd had that I mean, I think that our textbooks did backflips not to say to say that you know not to actually state in the text like the South lost the Civil War just like point blank. I mean, I knew I knew intellectually that the South lost the Civil War, but like everything around me like every reference every you know it it was basically like an understood and accepted fact that this civil war wasn't lost by the south you know Hmm. it was it's, it's hard to explain but it's like a cognitive dissonance where like sure yeah you might factually know that like the Civil War resulted, you know, in emancipation of, of the slaves, i.e. the South lost the Civil War, you know, the Confederates lost the Civil War. But then, But then just like culturally, that was not true in the South. Yeah. That was not. Well, that, that makes sense. I was I was listening to this podcast, um, Uncivil. Yeah. And um, one, one of the episodes talked about specifically how the Confederacy went from having lost the war to being heroes and having statues erected and all of that you know um there was the i think it was the sons of the confederacy or the da- mothers of the confederacy i don't know something like that some organization daughters of the, confederacy. the daughters of the confederacy that almost immediately after the war was over started a propaganda campaign that that painted the confederate soldiers the confederate cause as you know heroes and heroic and basically just shifted the whole narrative to, to kind of what we have now, <laughs> where, as you said, you, y'all didn't even learn that the South lost the war, you know? <laughs> right. I think that's the biggest problem is that you learn something in school. You learn something from the cues that society is giving you, right? And then the, and then the true, the truestly most heinous, the, the truestly, the truly most heinous thing about that, about all of these messages and these things that you're learning from the culture is that you basically like you're just stewing in it and you don't necessarily see it to question it because mm-hmm. because you're inside of it and it, it's it's the norm it's it's the atmosphere you know you have to kind of get outside of it in some way in order to question it in order to like really see it and be like wait wait I was inside of that and I didn't even know it <laughs> you know anyway so we're so we were the, the thesis of the episode, if I may get us back on topic, is, um, which I know I'm a big reason why we get off topic, and it's not off topic because it's all part of the topic, is that um, where is the line, you know, like, should states be, should they be able to or should they have the right to control their own elections for national elections, you know, or for like, or, you know, for statewide elections or, you know, is it is it appropriate? You know, like um, I keep thinking about the Secretary of State in Georgia running against Stacey Abrams um, for governor, you know, and like how he wasn't he didn't have to step down as Secretary of State while he was running for governor. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That was that was insane. You know, that was insane. Yeah. And then of course there was, I mean. Of course, there was so much tampering with it, and the the messed up thing is, is he did it in the full light of day because it was legal because he helped make the laws, right. you know. And you think there'd be some conflict of interest rules or 
you know, laws or some ethical something that would prevent that. But well, you know, apparently if not. I wanted to run for an elected position as a civil servant, right? Like I work for the city. If I wanted to run for an elected position, I would have to leave my job. Um, there is, you know, there those rules do exist um, for civil servants. It's just weird that we don't necessarily specify if you're already in an elected position, especially the one that's like, you know, controlling the election. <laughs> right. That's that's the conflict of interest to me. It's not so much that you're a public official, mm-hmm. you know, it's that you are controlling the election <laughs> that you are running in. Like that just makes no sense. <laughs> you know. Right. And like and like so because like so right now for a national election right there is an election day and everybody has the right theoretically to get off of work even though it's not a federal holiday and go and go vote on election day for for national elections right um but then when it Mm -hmm. comes down to um local elections like so we have a statewide election that you and i are both going to vote in tomorrow my workplace is often open on saturdays and we're not necessarily guaranteed the right. We don't close for the, you know, the day of a local election, especially since my workplace is often an election site. Now, I mean, not my actual workplace, but many library locations are election sites. So you need staff to staff those buildings, um, which means that we've got to make alternate arrangements. And yes, we do have early voting. Anyways, this just all gets wrapped up in circles and circles and circles because early, I mean, all of the voting dates and early voting lengths are all mandated, you know, at the local level, at the state level. And not everybody has the same rights, ultimately. This was, I think, the best quote that I said when we weren't recording is that we all live in the same country, but we don't all have the same rights because we Mm -hmm. have allowed states to sort of, you know, take advantage of, of, and that's really what's happened. And, you know, by leaving so many of these things, like voting rights in particular, to the states, we've we've made it so that like in Georgia, I wouldn't I've never voted in Georgia because I moved when I was 16. But like in Georgia, I wouldn't necessarily have the same voting rights, um, you know, as I do here. And when you say um, voting rights, you mean what's required to have access to the ballot? Yeah, what's required to have access to the ballot, but I mean, a whole slew of things, I guess, is packed into that. And I should probably write that down. As we were saying before we recorded, I have a tendency to to kind of jump around without without making the connections vocally um, that my brain is making. Um, And I appreciate you sometimes slowing me down and being like, wait, make that connection for me because like you got to say it out loud. Um, But like the number of polling locations is a voting rights issue, right? Mm, Yeah. Just something like that. And then like Georgia, I don't know if you heard this, but Georgia's trying to pass a law that would make it illegal to give people in line water or food while they're waiting in line to vote. Wow. Because they kept closing polling locations last year. And so a whole bunch of food trucks would show up at polling sites to like, to like give people food for free while they were waiting in line. And like, this was like, they like, they crowdsourced the funding for this on a national level because because the Georgia election was so important nationally, there was a lot of eyes on it. And so there was like this whole core of like core C-O-R-P-S. There was this whole core of like food trucks, local um, with like, you know, national like support and funding that were feeding people waiting all day in line to vote, you know? But, mm-hmm. but think about this. It's like, 
who who said this? Someone recently, like I was, I think it was yesterday, but I can't remember where I would have heard this or seen. Oh, you know what it was? It was Senator Warnock made this amazing speech on the Senate floor, his first speech. I don't know if you've heard it yet, but no, he made the connection that for um for hourly workers, waiting hours in line to vote is essentially a poll tax because you have to give mm. up income. Right. And um and sometimes you have to give up job security because like what if you have to quit in order to like go vote because your boss won't let you leave, you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. what if you have to have two jobs because you can't make enough at one and basically between the two jobs you have no time to go and vote, you know, that day, especially if it's not a quick process if there aren't enough polling locations. So right. it's like the federal government probably has to mandate some of these things. They probably have to mandate that there are a certain number of polling locations per capita in a lo- you know in a in a space they probably have to mandate that you know all, all employers you know like have to you know have there has to be federal protections that workers can then report to when their bosses like aren't allowing them to vote or if we had requirements for you know employers to allow their workers to thrive and to provide for their their thriving then more people could be invested in local politics well as you stated in the founding documents or the founding ideologies they didn't want us (laughs) they didn't want us common folk (laughs) to be involved you know well and it's funny because it's like that's you know like i've on this show, on this podcast, like I've given a lot of, um, I've said a lot of derogatory things about the constitution and the founders. And, and it's interesting because, you know, doing this reading, talking with you, talking with people who genuinely like know and respect the constitution and all that stuff, I can see, I can see it for what it was, you know, like and what they were, the founders, like in many ways they were extremely progressive and rebellious and it took like an enormous leap to to write this document and to be and to be the rebels that they were so we do have to say that when we're talking about them and and yes i'm disappointed that they weren't like you know 2020 (laughs) progressives i mean yes and no i guess what i'm 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 disappointed that it was ever questioned that that women and and non-white people are fully human and and intelligent and and capable of being independent if you don't put so many restrictions on them like our mutual friend who's been on the show a lot um he you know he he's been posting a lot of really fun and wild stuff on twitter i'm talking about maurice um Mm -hmm. for women's history month but one of the things that he posted and and it's partly a jest i imagine and, and also like just and this is his style, he'll say something in this kind of like joking, kind of mocking way that makes you laugh. But then it's like he's but he's really like also shining a light on stuff and making you think about something in a different way. And he and he tweeted something about like, you know, the way to keep women safe is to institute like a, um, a mandatory uh, curfew on men. Um, and he, <laughs> and he totally got that from somebody else. FYI, that has been that has been out in the ether for a while, um, and and all that. So he didn't he didn't create that or invent that, but he you know his turn of phrase was particularly witty. So everyone go check out that uh, that tweet. That is a really good art form for for Maurice. But um, but it's totally true, right? Like for so much of history, we have focused on um, 
on women are women and I don't want to use the word minority because they're not a minority and um, but like BIPOC folks, non-white folks in in uh, in this country, we focus on them like your problem is something that you have to address, you know, or we'll address it by putting you under a curfew or or like and this is so freaking sad. But, you know, that shooting that happened in Georgia, actually, like not you know one of them wasn't too far from my parents um Hmm. you know uh it wasn't and you're talking about the shooting of the spas yes um, three the three spas yeah and mostly um women of asian descent uh that were killed at those spas but the reason why i brought that up was because as soon as that happened there was like this announcement like oh we'll protect the asian communities by uh, increasing police presence in those neighborhoods and it was like so you're going to like re-traumatize all of these traumatized communities, you know, by putting more police in their neighborhoods. Like that's really tone deaf. I mean, like in theory, you want to like, oh, you want to show your support and say, we're going to keep them safe. But like, no, like the way, the way to keep anybody safe in this country is by actually studying the problem and talking to them and seeing and asking them, what do you need to feel safe? You know, like what, how can we accomplish this? Not, you know, and we already know that like we have a police problem in this country and Mm -hmm. we can't just keep throwing them. Like we're just going to put them there in case there's a problem. And it's like, okay, but we might do way more if we just restrict guns. Like someone posted, I know that we've had this fight before too. So I don't want to get too, (laughs) but someone posted like, let me, um, and again, I, apparently I'm getting all my news from Twitter. I know you guys must, be like, does she ever actually read a paper? And yes, I am subscribed to a few papers, <laughs> but I don't find them as as relevant as social media <laughs> um, often, but sometimes I do, um, but not for the podcast, because I think <clears throat> social media is so great to quote in the podcast because it's pithy and quick, right? And, and often with like a, a news story, you have to kind of be like, okay, well, the news story started here and then there was all this facts and data and it's it's great, but it's not great for this medium. Um, so Deacon Blues posted on, on Twitter, the Atlanta terrorist purchased his gun the same day he murdered eight people. You cannot register and vote on the same day in Georgia. Yeah. And that hit home so hard because I, yeah. Yeah. No, I read, I, I read something else though. Cause you know how they're all up, uh, the Republicans are all up in arms about voter ID laws and this, that, and the other. And one of the things I read is that that you have to have specific ID. So for instance, you can't use a student ID mm-hmm. as a valid form of identification, but you can use a gun license as a valid form of identification, Ooh. you know, in like Texas, for instance, you know, oh, um, fuck that noise. so yeah. <laughs> um, well, and then the next, the first comment on Deacon Blues's tweet says, "Abortion too. There's a 24-hour waiting period. You know, it's easier to gun- get a gun than an abortion. It's all, it's all empty. If you say we want to keep you safe, we want to make you feel welcome. It's all empty until you do the real work that people need. You know, and and like putting more police and more guns." in Asian communities is not going to make anyone feel safer. And it's probably not going to make anyone safer either. Um, you know, and it's, oh, we've gotten so far afield, but yes, yeah, so this, so like, <laughs> yeah, we were supposed to be talking about the vaccination. 
I don't think we've touched on that yet. <laughs> I, figured we could, I figured we could end there. We could come back around to it because you, you made that perfect segue, that perfect segue. So I was like, I'm going to go with it. Um, I, so it sounds like we're mostly in agreement that there are some things that should be federally mandated about elections and about voting. Well, this is something that um, I misspoke on earlier and I'm going to correct it. Maybe I'll just take this part and edit it into the other part so it makes it seem like well, I said it correctly show people the whole that you're time. correcting yourself. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> oh, but in Article 1, uh, Section 4, it talks about the uh, the time, place, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state mm-hmm. by the legislature thereof. Um, so it's explicitly giving the states um, the power uh, um, over the elections, uh, at least in, as far as uh, the, as Congress goes. I was going to, there was like that quote from, because I didn't actually read the one I was going to from uh, the embattled vote in America. Um but there was an, another one that you just made me think of, and it's, it talks about um, in choosing not to decide on voting rights, the Philadelphia delegates made a choice with profound lasting consequences for American democracy. With voting qualifications left to the discretion of each state, Americans barred from voting by state property qualifications or other restrictions had no recourse to federal constitutional principles. They could appeal only to the lawmakers or the courts of their states. The Constitution's silence on voting qualifications also severed voting rights from citizenship, and that's the important light, right uh, line there. And I know that you know the Voting Rights Act kind of undid the property requirements um, to a certain degree, but um, but we had this legacy of um, the states basically deciding who gets to vote and how and when and how many you know polling locations you have, and all of this has lasting effects on people's agency and their ability to participate in their government um, at the local level, which is many of our lawmakers are aware of for sure. Um, And here's the quote that I intended to read that I read to you before. It said, the disconnect between qualifications for voting and office holding led to three great paradoxes of American constitutional government. Although non-citizens could vote and hold state or local offices in many states, voters could not, uh, only elect U.S. citizens to federal offices. States could impose any manner of restrictions on voting or office holding, but federal office holding qualifications could be tightened or loosened only through a constitutional amendment. Yet citizens barred from voting by property, tax paying, racial, gender, registration, or literary restrictions in their states could still continue constitutionally hold any elected federal office if they met the residency, citizenship, and age requirements, and for president, the special condition of natural-born citizenship. Under the Constitution, any American-born citizen, boy or girl, black or white, could grow up to be president of the United States, even if they could not vote or hold office in their, their home state. And as you rightly rightfully pointed out to me, a lot of that was corrected by the Voting Rights Act, However, the legacy of it, I think, and this is a problematic term, but grandfathered in a lot of the um, disenfranchisement that we're seeing now in the state at the state level. Well, the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act maybe five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they they basically said the requirements that you know, because a lot of the southern states had to keep checking in with. Um, 
with, I, I believe, Congress, um, if they wanted to make any significant changes to um, to their voting laws and whatever, to be like, hey, look, you know, is this okay? You know, just to make sure it wasn't racially motivated in any way, like they weren't trying to do any discriminatory type of actions. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was deemed no longer required. You know, it was uh, it was deemed, oh, we're past that. You know, so we we don't need that anymore. We already fixed racism. So then we- right, exactly, exactly. And um, one of the things, I, I think it was uh, Ginsburg who said um, uh, gutting it like that is, is the equivalent of standing in the rain with an umbrella and not getting wet and saying, oh, well, I don't need this umbrella anymore, you know? <laughs> so I can see her saying that <laughs> yeah. in her very quietly spicy way. Um, right. No, you're totally right. And it's because I, <clears throat> I wasn't immediately thinking of that. So I'm glad you brought that back up because that's exactly what enabled um, Purdue and Georgia this, you know, to change a lot of their, their, their voting laws in the last couple of years without any oversight um, mm-hmm. in Georgia. So um, the last thing we wanted to talk about, or that I, I sort of put on our agenda was to talk about um Healthcare is also something that I think should be nationalized to a certain degree because um, I don't think I even fully realized that states could opt in or opt out to Obamacare, and um, and that there was this. Well, well, it was um, opting in or out of the Medicaid expansion. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so you, states got you know X number of millions of dollars to be applied to their rollout of and maintenance of the the affordable care act and some states declined it mm-hmm. and you know of course it failed because there was no money you know <laughs> there's no money behind it you know but yeah. uh it seemed the aca seems to have worked or obamacare seems to have worked fairly well in states where you know they accepted it and implemented everything you know yeah so. there's a, a great book that i was listening to the audio of that um I'm going to have to look it up and, and list it in the show notes. But they, they focused on a state that I think it was Kentucky. Yeah, that's Mitch McConnell's state, right? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Kentucky that uh, refused the um, that expansion and the health outcomes and how a lot of the population in Kentucky had to then try to go across state lines to other states, to neighboring states that, you know, that did accept the expansion. Um and, and it just, it kind of made me think about abortion again, my favorite topic and about how, um, you know, it is, it's literally a healthcare issue, but we've, we've politicized it to such a degree, um, that like your outcome, you know, as your ability to access, you know, abortion as healthcare, um, in your, is so dependent on which state you live in. And like, I'm using the abortion as a lens, but that's essentially the case for like, you know, like I have, I have a chronic condition that would be um, uh, treated in many cases with birth control, right? But I'm not currently on birth control. And part of the reason why is because even with my good insurance that I get through the city, every year they change what birth control is available um, for free. And like, I've, I've heard from people who should know better that all birth control is the same and it is not um, because it, you know, in has different hormones in it. It has different levels of hormones. I mean, I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you all the different ways that each of the birth controls are different, but I can tell you that, you know, all medications, 
react differently to different, you know, to different people. And so like when you do find a birth control that that you don't have weird side effects with it, you can tolerate that your system can tolerate for long term, you need to be able to stick to it. You know, um, like basically I'm not receiving the treatment that most doctors would prescribe for my condition because I can't, I can't keep jumping from birth control to birth control. And it would just, it's literally just easier for me just to like not be on birth control and to find another treatment for myself that I can sustain. And so that's part of where my fury comes from when I talk about these things is because it does, you know, affect me in my personal life. Um, But all of these things affect people in their personal life. That's why I feel like, you know, and and when the founders were building the constitution and when they were building our country, they could not, and they were frankly terrified of the idea that we could of direct democracy, but they couldn't fathom a world in which we, the world in which we now live with the technology to actually like, you know, everybody can vote on the same day at the same time. And we can count the results pretty fairly quickly, especially mm-hmm. by their standards. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't need the electoral college anymore. You know, we, we really don't even, I hate to say it, but I feel like we don't need state legislatures anymore, to be honest with you. And maybe that's for a topic for another podcast. If you, if you feel like state <laughs> legislatures make any sort of sense, you can let me know. Um, but we should probably do some more research on that, both of us, before we have that conversation. But I'd really like to know, like, what do state legislatures even do? Because basically every time I hear about them, it just seems like they're doing something racially based and hateful, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, I mean, they make the laws of the state, you know, they're the Congress of the state. I don't, I mean, I, I don't think we should be getting rid of them. Um, but why do we but, have so many different laws in different states? Like, that's crazy cuckoo. Well, because not all states are the same, you know. <laughs> you wouldn't want New York City to be governed the same way that, you know, Cheyenne, Wyoming is is governed you know what i mean it's two completely different places you know uh, with two different sets of needs and you know the, uh you know like uh the, the needs of like say texas will probably be very different than the needs of maine but what, you know what needs are we talking about like their basic human needs are the same regardless of where they live what so what needs do you think that the state legislatures are, are addressing with their laws well, I mean, I, I don't know, like, uh, well, well, let's just say guns. We were talking about <laughs> guns, you know what I mean? I don't know. That's just what I can think of off the top of my head. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like you you put me on the spot. I know, I know. Oh, what about, what about um marijuana? Why isn't that national? Why isn't, why don't we just make it legal nationally and move on with our lives? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a good point. Because what I was going to say is we haven't talked about, we haven't talked about states' rights in the positive sense you know what states, states rights is there like what, what well marijuana marijuana has been approved on a state-by-state basis based on states rights okay and also you know and sex marriage yeah i think and same-sex marriage yeah. you know and then even and eventually with so many states um uh, approving it ma- making it legal there's going to be a conflict between states which has to it's essentially forces the hand of the federal government. Well, it sort and, of sounds uh, like the state's legislatures and the state's separate legal systems almost kind of like create little mini civil wars uh, from like the the states and the federal levels. Like, and that's almost like by design. Like, would like? Well, yeah, it kind of is. Um, it's like the states are supposed to be 
experiments. You know what I mean? We're supposed to be like uh, uh, laboratories. Uh, yeah, laboratories of of policy. You know. And so when one state tries a thing, other states look at it and say, hmm, would that work for us? You know, and if it's popular enough, other states will do it. And then it eventually becomes federal, you know. You almost um, got me convinced here. Okay. It, I mean, it just so, seems like a really backwards way to run a country in some ways, though. But I mean, I see, I can see your point that there is, there is an advantage to sort of letting smaller governing bodies sort of try something and before implementing it on the national level. Oh yeah, that, that's a great idea. That makes a lot of sense. Um, my my problem is now we're not governing at all it seems like you know it seems like we're um we're more interested in who proposes the idea rather than does the idea work you know anyway so we're talking about health um let's go ahead and talk about vaccinations because especially with covid just having happened we could see you know we could see how we're all in this together right like there had to be Mm -hmm. there had to be federal intervention in order to get a handle on this um so we've had conversations about vaccinations before and i kind of jokingly called you an anti-vaxxer said i oh i didn't know you were an anti-vaxxer so i appreciated that conversation though because you 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 mean you kind of prepared me for conversations i would have later with with black folks in my life um in particular black folks but not always black folks where there was some reticence about vaccinations that wasn't what and i think you were right i was like well if you don't take vaccinations unless required what are you except for an anti-vaxxer but then i realized that it's not well i probably shouldn't keep putting words into your mouth um i should probably let you speak well this vaccination in particular Mm -hmm. it's it's not so much about the history of the messed up stuff (laughs) that has been done to black people medically it's not because of the Tuskegee experiments or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly because the vaccine feels rushed mm-hmm. to me. And even though they say it's safe and everything, I'm going to wait and see. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying I will never get the vaccine. I'm saying I won't be in the first wave of people. <laughs> I will wait to see what happens maybe like a year or more. I don't know. Let's see what happens. Because, you know, this honestly is how the zombie apocalypse starts. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I don't want to be a zombie. I'm sure zombie life is great for, you know, for some people, but I don't think it will suit me, you know? It's so. so funny because usually if someone brings up abortion or zombies on this show, it's usually me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, actually, I'm working on a zombie book and this whole last year with COVID has like completely sort of changed a lot of my understanding of like, you know, like now I have like a completely different idea for like how the outbreak happens. And there was a part of me that was like, yeah, I would totally be like, well, first there was the exposure to the disease and then there, there would have to be, you know, a like a complicating vector, like a vaccine, like a rushed vaccine, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. that would then, yep. you know, that kind of thing. And it totally makes like science fiction sense. Um, and, and I think that's why I love zombies so much and why they're so terrifying is because to me, they seem like the most like possible of all of the monsters. They um, really do. Yeah, they really do. Um, and because if, yeah, I mean, it feels like it's happened. It had, you know, it has happened and it does happen. Um, 
Anyways, that's for. And I'm I'm mostly I'm mostly saying that in jest about the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Mostly in jest, yeah. but you know I'm still gonna wait and see because I don't I don't know what the long term ramifications of this right um, vaccine is. Well, to me it, it it came out really quickly. It did. So. And you know, and it's interesting because that was my initial hesitation too. Like I did feel a little hesitant last year, like Maurice and I talked about this, but the reason why um, I ultimately decided to trust it and I am vaccinated and I got the vaccination. Um, there's a couple of reasons why <clears throat> I decided to trust it. Um, well, I did some research into how it was developed, um, how they could develop it so quickly. And, um, and now it seems like under Biden, at least, that the scientists are speaking for themselves instead of sort of being, um, you know, hampered by, by a position of authority and, you know, a person in authority. It seems to me that Biden is content to let the scientists actually speak and the CDC speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have talked to my friends who are in the medical profession and, and who are scientists about you know about how this thing was developed and it was a massive um study that they did like they did a the study is not the right word um to develop the vaccine and and then to test it they they since, since they were working so quickly they got like a massive amount of people um to to opt into the study and those those are to me those are the true heroes the people that agreed to participate in a study um, not knowing what, you know, what the vaccination would do, if it would work, if it would not work, if they were receiving the vaccination or not, but they, they did an enormous study of people. And, um, and then also the fact that they're just acknowledging there's a lot of things we still don't know. We know it's safe enough to administer, you know, to the public, but we also don't know all of the side effects that people are going to have. And they have, right. and so people have to, people have to make choices for themselves and about what feels safe and what, and I won't chastise anybody for choosing not to get the vaccination. And that was a choice that I made, particularly because of our conversation um, about vaccinations in general. So I, I do want to thank you again for that conversation, but um, well, I should probably go and you should probably go because you have to pick up your niece soon. Yep. Yep. I'm really glad we had that conversation. I'll put as many links as I can in the show notes and I can't guarantee that we'll get super regular with our episodes, but I think we should try maybe shoot for one or two a month. Um, going forward, we should try to get on some sort of production schedule again. Um, cause I would like to, uh, be in better contact with our listeners again <laughs> so that they yeah. know we exist still. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and we have a Patreon, and we have a Twitter, and I'll put the links in the show notes. And and like, subscribe, rate, review. <laughs> Y'all know the routine. Yeah, and, and feel free to contact us, uh, civics.yall.podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of this episode or, you know, I mean, you could always just rate the episode, of course. Yeah. But like, you know, if you have any ideas about what you'd like to hear us talk about next or have we hit the sweet spot with uh, <laughs> with civics content, let us know. Um, next episode, Bubblegum's role in the founding of the country. 